Turn, if you would, to the second chapter of the book of Proverbs. Last week, we talked about giving a rebuke and that wisdom is offering us life, prosperity, if only we will listen to its teaching. We discussed last week that uh, throughout the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a woman standing on the corner yelling, please come listen to me. And we also acknowledge the fact that refusing to listen to the rebukes of wisdom will lead us to destruction. Wisdom wants us to follow the path of righteousness. And when we begin to deviate, wisdom will rebuke us to drive us back to that path. And the question is, do we or do we not listen to that rebuke? So today we're moving into chapter 2 of the book of Proverbs, and we're going to discuss seeking after wisdom itself. But before we do that, a little story. If you remember uh, Moses is leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage, and into the promised land. And God has promised, I am going to give you this land. It is a gift because of my covenant that I made with Abraham. I am going to give you this land. And then Joshua comes along, and he is told to get the army ready, because you're going to go have to take the land. And I remember years ago thinking, this seems to be a contradiction here. If it is given to you, why do you then have to go fight to take it? I mean, isn't there a problem here? In reality, there's not a problem. God gives us things, but then he expects us to exert effort to claim that which he has already given us. And if you remember, Joshua leads the nation of Israel into the promised land. The first town they fight is Jericho, where basically they marched for seven days. Not exactly the best military tactic, but that's what God used to give them that particular city. What we're going to see today is that God expects us to work to strive to obtain wisdom, even though wisdom has been given to us as a gift. We saw two weeks ago that wisdom sits in the public places crying out for us to pay attention, crying out to teach us, to show us the way we ought to live our lives. And today we're going to talk about how do we get that. What do we do to obtain that? The first four verses of chapter 2. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure... Look at all the words in there that are words that we need to do. We accept, we store up, we turn, we apply, we call out, we cry aloud. You look for it, you search for it. 
These are not passive words. These are not words of me sitting in a chair waiting for it just to get dumped on me. All of these words imply that we are doing something in order to obtain wisdom. And let's look at them in order. My son, if you accept my words, what does it mean to accept somebody's words? You receive it, you believe it, you take it to be true, you take it to be valuable. You know, there's a lot of words floating around in this world today. A lot of words. I once again saw uh, a list this week of how much information is generated every year in the world. And they're having a little trouble because they have to keep making up new words to talk about the amount of information. I mean, if you have a computer at home, you know about megabits and gigabits. And, well, there's... 20 more of them after that. We are generating huge amounts of information. Some of it's true. (laughs) Some of it's not. Somehow we have to determine this is valuable. I will take it. I will accept it. This is not that valuable. I will put it aside. And we saw this in the lesson Uh, two weeks ago, where we talked about all the noise in life. Yes, wisdom is calling out for us, but there's all this other noise just filling up our ears, our senses. And we have to work to push that aside so we can accept the truth, accept the call of wisdom. If you accept my commands, my words, and store up my commands within you, store up. That's more than just, well, I read my Bible this morning, okay? That means you take it and you put it inside of you so that it is there when you need it. I've mentioned in here many times the fact that you will read Scripture, you will study Scripture, and sometimes it doesn't make sense. And then some event occurs in your life, some activity, some action, something happens to you. And all of a sudden, that scripture that made no sense pops up and you go, oh, that's what that meant. That's where that applies. But if you don't have it stored up, it's not going to pop up when you need it. It's just not going to be there. So we need to accept it and we need to store it in our hearts so that it is available when we need it. Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Turning your ear. It's a picture. It's a picture of the fact that I'm listening to different things in life. I'm listening to different people. I pay attention to certain people and I ignore others. And the question is, do we turn our ear to listen to the voice of wisdom or is our ear being turned by all the other noise and hubbub in our world around us today? Apply your heart to understanding. We know 
because we've talked about this in here before, biblically, the heart is more than just that organ in your body that pumps blood. The heart is the center of your being. It is your mind, your will, and emotions. It is who you really are. So, when it talks about applying your heart, that means taking you and all of you and applying it to try to get understanding. It means that you really, really want to go in that direction. There's not a reluctance. There's not the child who is being told to do something, yet the child doesn't want to do it. And yes, they do it because they know they can't get out of it, but they really don't want to. That's not the picture at all. It is my mind being set, my will choosing, and my emotions desiring to seek after wisdom. Now, there is a question in all of this that we haven't addressed. And that is, what is it that drives us to want, to desire, to seek after wisdom all of these terms imply that you have the desire to seek after wisdom hold that question if you call out for insight you call out please let me understand it this is the person praying to God and crying out to God God I want insights i want understanding about how to live my life it implies an intensity of desire that's more than just well i'll do it if you want me to do it but it's not that big a deal it implies an intensity of desire if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding you really want to understand things and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. You can go read the history of mankind. And you can read the history of people searching after treasure. I mean, if you want to talk about the California gold rush, you want to talk about the explorers exploring the world, trying to find gold, you want to talk about I mean, you name it. You pick a country, and there was somebody trying to find treasure in that country at some point in time. Now, how do you find treasure? Once again, do I sit here in my chair and wait for the treasure to get dumped on my head? No. It implies that you go out there. You go looking for it. You dig until you find it. It implies that it takes time. It implies that it takes effort in order to obtain it. So all of these active words, all of these very strong words are used to tell us what it will take for us to get wisdom. So, what is it that drives you to want to search after wisdom?
I'd love an answer. Truth? A desire to understand the truth. Problems. Problems in life pop up, and you think, gosh, I don't have the resources in and of myself to solve this problem. Somewhere God has to tell me, teach me what it is. The knowledge of God. Turn to verse 5. Then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Here is the theme that we're going to be seeing throughout the book of Proverbs. A little wisdom drives us to more wisdom, which drives us to more wisdom, which drives us to, you get the picture. A little foolishness drives us away from God, which drives us toward foolishness, which drives us toward more foolishness, and you get the picture. Ultimately, what is going to drive us to seek after the things of God, the fear of God and knowledge of God, is some knowledge of God. This is not circular reasoning. It is simply the fact that you get a taste, and that taste drives you to want more of the knowledge of God. We see this in the New Testament when we talk about the process of sanctification. We talked about this when we worked through 1st and 2nd Corinthians. We are born again, we are saved, we have received salvation. But the rest of our lives is the process of sanctification where we take what God has given us and we work it out in our everyday life. And that requires effort on our part. What drives that effort to become holy? The knowledge of what God has done for us. The knowledge drives the knowledge, which drives the desire for more knowledge. That's why Proverbs is a lesson of a father to his son, telling the son, you need to start down that path instead of that path. At this point, they may not look that far apart. But ultimately, one leads to life and one leads to destruction. I cannot beat you into wanting to seek after the things of God. But God can give you the taste which drives you to seek more, which drives you to seek more of the knowledge of God. Come and see that it tastes good. Apply your heart, seek after it, cry out for it, 
But, but there is so much in this world that hinders us, that stands in our way, that tries to prevent us from seeking after the things of God. Go ahead. No one comes to the Father unless God works first. But when God works, we are called to respond to that. At no point, at no point can the Christian life be described as sitting in a chair doing nothing. Now, there may be times in our lives where we're sitting in the chair praying. And you know what praying is? crying out for wisdom, calling out for insight. That's what prayer is. Prayer is not doing nothing. Does that make sense? Prayer is actively seeking after the things of God. So, we are to search for it as we would for treasure. We're to cry out for it with a strong desire. We're to look for it. We're to incline our ear. We are to accept it when we hear it. And what is it we get out of that? Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. That is what we should be after. Yes, sir. A passion for being in fellowship with God. How does it compare? I think they're the same thing okay no no knowledge is an understanding of who God is okay you run into a variety of problems okay one is the thought that okay I will go read all the books on systematic theology as I would if I were studying uh, early American history. I want to get all the facts right. I want to know all the terms. I want to know what superlapsarian means, and I want all this stuff, and I want it all in nice blocks, and then I can pass my exam. That's one problem. The other extreme, though, is I don't need to know anything about God. I just love him. You know, it's this feeling driven, emotion-driven understanding of God. Both of those are extremes that are to be avoided. We learn about God to drive our passion toward God, to drive us to learn more about God, to drive our passion toward God, to drive us to do that which God would have us to do. Look at these two things. The knowledge of God is an understanding of who God is, what God requires of us, what God wants us to do. The fear of God is the knowledge that God is watching us at all times, and we have a desire to please him, 
a desire to do that which God would have us to do. Now, can you do that and be passionless about it? I doubt it. Now, you might not get, in, get up and jump up and down on chairs like somebody else, but that's a personality thing. Different people have different personalities, and that's great. That's wonderful. That's the way God made us. But the knowledge of God should drive us to do what God would have us to do. If it doesn't, it's just some sterile book learning. But pure emotion, guided with no knowledge, will lead us into all kinds of heresy and false teaching and etc. and etc. Was it last week's sermon where we talked about, you know, Israel breaking into the northern kingdom, Israel and the southern kingdom, Judah, and the northern kingdom needed a place to worship, so they went and created some places to worship, and they created a golden calf to worship. I mean, they were passionate about it, but they were wrong because they neglected the knowledge of how God wanted, desired to be worshipped. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I would think, I mean, that, that's a good analogy, but I would, I mean, her, her point was, to her, knowledge is like having the ingredients of a recipe. That's the knowledge. But then you put them together and you do something with it. But we, the problem is, is that we as, actually we as Westerners, have abstracted knowledge in general so that sometimes we think knowledge is this thing that doesn't really affect our lives. We have a lot of knowledge about a lot of things, but it has no effect on us. Biblically, knowledge is what drives you to do something. To say that you have the knowledge that God wants to help the poor and not help the poor means you don't have knowledge. Biblically, you don't know it. Because if you knew it and feared God, you would do that which God clearly wants you to do. So it's a good analogy. I just think that biblically it's, it's tighter than even that. It's, it's a stronger analogy. The idea, and today, I mean, there's thousands of people today who know this book, who know the Bible like they know the works of Shakespeare. They study it as an academic subject. And you, I mean, personally, my idea is, why would you do that? But, you know, it's, a, it's an ancient text. And, you know, they have all kinds of theories how the thing was put together, all kinds of theories of who wrote which piece of it, you know, and they tear it apart word by word, and, oh, this person couldn't have written that phrase or that phrase because that looks different than that. And you go, huh? Why do you even bother? I've got a theory on that, too, but that's a different subject. Yes, Mike? Are you going to tie this into wisdom, Paul? Tie it into wisdom? This is wisdom. I failed miserably. <laughs> Explain the tie into wisdom. 
The whole book is about wisdom. Wisdom, skillful living, going the path that leads to God, implies that we have an understanding of God, we have an understanding of the fear of the Lord, and that is the beginning of the path of wisdom. We saw this in the introduction lesson when we said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and later we're going to see the verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What we see is that as we start down the path of wisdom, the first thing we need to understand is the knowledge of God and the fear of the Lord. That's what gets us started. That's why I raised the question a while ago, what is it that causes us to want to seek the things of God? And the answer is, knowledge of God drives us to more knowledge of God, which drives us to more knowledge of God, which drives us to live a life in pursuit of wisdom, which wisdom is living a skillful life in accordance with his will. We saw three weeks ago that fools despise wisdom and knowledge. Think about that for a moment. Fools despise knowledge. Well, fools, and I've known some fools in my life, fools know a lot of things. They have knowledge in the sense that they can tell you how to drive a car. They can tell you who won the football game. They can tell you things. In fact, some of them are really, really smart in the eyes of the world. But when we're told that fools despise knowledge, what we're saying is they despise the knowledge of God and of how God would have us to live our lives. That they don't understand at all. They don't want to understand it. In fact, they despise that knowledge. That knowledge is foolishness to them. So, the wisdom, the how to live our lives, comes from an intimate understanding of who God is and the acknowledgement that God is the sovereign of the universe, God is the judge of the universe, and that that ultimately, ultimately is what matters in each and every situation. The problem we have today, my opinion, the problem we have today is even those of us in the church, we want the things of God, but we want everything else too. Think about this. Just a, an illustration, okay? What's heaven going to be like? Don't answer that, but what's heaven going to be like? I've asked this question before, and we have these images. And normally this image is, whatever I like doing now, more of it. You know, you have somebody say, oh, I'll be able to eat anything I want, all these great desserts, and I won't get fat. Okay? It does talk about a feast. It does talk about eating. But you know what heaven really is? It is learning about God every day for eternity. And God, being an infinite being, we can spend eternity learning about God. Now, question. 
if you are bored to death learning about God now, why in the world do you think you'd enjoy going to heaven? Think about that. If you think that searching the wisdom and knowledge and truth about God is boring and dull now, why, why do you want to go to heaven? You want to answer that question? No. Yeah. A funeral she went to. Uh, which are you gonna, where are you going to be more comfortable? In heaven, where you're worshiping God continually, or the other place? Do you see the point? We are to search after wisdom. But here's the... Here's the beauty of it. God has promised us that if we search for it, we will find it. It isn't some elusive thing that may be beyond our capabilities. One of my daughters this week was home and she was joking about going back and getting her PhD in quantum physics. It was a joke. She doesn't even know what quantum physics is. <laughs> but you know, if I told you that your eternal destiny would be determined by your ability to get a Ph.D. in quantum physics, some of us would be toast. Because we just couldn't do it. It's really obscure, it's really bizarre, and there's a handful of people in the universe that understand it. But the wisdom that God promises us is available to us. God just wants to know if we're serious enough about it to actually go get it. The parable of the man who found the pearl of great price and he went and sold everything he got to go get that pearl is the picture of us seeking God. And us seeking God is the path of wisdom. Us seeking God should work itself out in our everyday life. Don't tell me that you're really interested in the things of God and you're learning everything there is to know about the things of God and then you go live your life as if it made no difference then you're not living in the knowledge and fear of the Lord. But once again, the promise is God will give it to us if we seek after it. Keep reading. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. 
for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. The fool hears knowledge and it's not pleasant at all. In fact, it's bitter to him. He wants nothing to do with it. But as we begin to taste the wisdom, it becomes more and more pleasant to our soul. But look at these terms that are used here. He holds victory in store. He is a shield. He guards. He protects. What is it that we have to be protected from? The evil of the world? Ourselves? All those people out there on the path of the fool. We saw the, those that are following the path of foolishness aren't benign and loving toward those who are on the other path. They are out to lead them astray. Let's lay and wait for the blood of the innocent person. Why? Because we're fools, and that's what fools do. We live in a world that is, in fact, a cosmic struggle between the forces of good and the forces of evil. We have to understand this. We have to understand that not all paths lead to the same place. There is a fight. There is a struggle. That's why in the New Testament we are told to put on the full armor of God. Why? Because we're going into a battle. And if we don't understand that, we've already lost. If we don't understand that I need wisdom, that I need understanding, that I need insight to protect me from my own foolish desires, from the foolish desires of others, from the works of the devil to drive me, if I don't understand that I need wisdom, then I will just stumble from one major or minor catastrophe to the next, and that will be the course of my life. Any of you ever know anybody that's lived like that? You may know them today. You may be related to them today. Just stumbling from one major problem to the next. Why? They don't understand that they need understanding and wisdom to protect them from the ways of fools. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. It boils down to this. Here's the image that I have in my head. Every day, I make thousands of decisions. Every day. As I said in the introductory lesson, sometimes I've made the same decision the same way so many times that I no longer even consider it a decision, but it really is. 
I have decided to respond. I have decided to do a certain thing a certain way every time. When I reach these hundreds of decision points every day, the question is, the question that should be before my eyes is this. Do I take the path of wisdom or do I take the path of foolishness? And which is which? And that is, what, that is why we have to have wisdom, knowledge, understanding, insight into how we live our lives. And God says, if you come and ask me, if you cry out for it, if you seek it, then I will help you make that decision correctly. Then you will understand every good path. Then you will understand, do I go right or do I go left? That's what wisdom will give you. Discretion will protect you, verse 11, and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong. Earlier we talked about wisdom being tasteful, being good for the soul, pleasing, pleasant to you. As you pursue knowledge, as you pursue wisdom, it becomes a good taste to you. But in the same way, the fool who has progressed further and further down that path will have a taste for wickedness and evil deeds. They leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways. They delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. These people are out there, and we need to be protected from them. It will save you also from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. For her house leads down to death, and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. We mentioned last week that throughout the book we're going to have all these characters. And when you have people going down the good path, we have names for those people. When we have people going down the path of fools, we have names for those. And one of them we will meet several more times is the adulteress. In fact, chapters uh, 4 and 5 and 6 are going to talk about her. The woman who leads us astray. Remember, the book is written, instructions of a father to his son. Son, watch out. There are people, there are women who want to lead you astray. You can say the exact same thing to a daughter. Daughter, watch out. There are men who want to lead you astray. It's just the direction that the book took, because it is instructions to a son, is to watch out for the women who will lead you astray. It is not to imply that women are any more likely to lead people astray than men are. It's an equal opportunity employer. But we'll talk about her more later. Thus you will walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of righteousness. This is the promise 
This is what is given to those who walk the path of wisdom. For the upright will live in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. Think about the land for a moment in the context of the Jews living at the time of Solomon. The land was the mark of the covenant. To be in the land was to be part of the covenant. To be where God wanted you to be. And the promise given was, if you follow the path of wisdom, you will remain where God wants you to be. You will be part of the covenant. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the unfaithful will be torn from it. Those who follow the path of foolishness will be broken out of the covenant. They will not be in the place God wants them to be. So what is the motivation to seek after wisdom, to cry out for it, to incline our ear? The motivation is that it protects us. It protects us as we walk through this life. It helps us to understand the correct path. As we take that next step, it tells us which way to go. But once again, if I'm sitting in the chair, watching the television shows, playing the video games, reading the books, talking to fools, I'm not searching for treasure. I'm not searching for wisdom as I would search for treasure. I'm just doing what everyone else is doing, and I'm living in this naive belief that at some point, God will come dump it on my head just because I'm a nice 21st century American. Ultimately, he might. But ultimately, there might be some pretty nasty rebukes on your way there. And that was last week's lesson. And just to remind ourselves, we see this in the New Testament also. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom... He should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. If we cry out, if we seek it, God has promised we can have it. It's not some strange esoteric thing. Conclusion, the search for wisdom should consume us. It should. It should drive our lives. Now, let's make sure we understand. The search for wisdom is the search for God. The search for God is the search for God revealed to us in the life of his son. Wisdom is not some thing divorced from a knowledge of God. And the knowledge of God is not some abstract thing divorced from a knowledge of his son. How do we begin the path of wisdom? By coming to the person who was wisdom incarnate. When Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am that gate. I am that door. What he's saying is he 
is the path, the knowledge to our understanding of God, our understanding of the fear of the Lord, and our beginning on the path of wisdom. So wisdom is not something divorced from God or divorced from Christ. But it should consume us as we should be consumed by the desire to know more about God. If we don't care, if you don't care, that should be a huge red flag that maybe there's something wrong. Because all I've got to say is you're going to get to heaven and you're going to be really, really bored. And I don't think you're going to be. I don't think anybody is going to be really, really bored in heaven. But if we're going to learn about God for eternity, shouldn't we start now? The goal of all wisdom is knowledge of God. That is the goal. Not abstract, oh, I know all the theological terms, but knowledge that grabs you, takes control of your heart and is pleasant to your soul the knowledge that drives you to live a life pleasing to god and finally wisdom will protect us from those who would lead us astray and make no doubt about it there are those who would lead us astray you know we sit here and think oh yes high school students they get led astray College students, ooh, they really get led astray. I'm way beyond all that. No, you're not. If you think you're way beyond that, it's probably, I'm not sure I should say this, it's probably because you've been led astray so long you no longer know the difference. Okay? The world, the flesh, and the devil are alive and well. And if we're not engaged in the fight, it probably means we've already given up. And that's not a good answer. So, what is the conclusion? Go find wisdom. Go do it. It should consume you. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. I've got a job. I've got responsibilities. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And you know what? That's the cool thing. God wants to teach you wisdom in the middle of your life. He doesn't want you to go to the desert or to the convent or to some place and hide for 50 years while you learn it. He wants you to live your life in the knowledge of God, in the fear of God, and with wisdom. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you promise wisdom to those who seek it and desire it. I pray, Lord, that you would give me the desire. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.